is for sharing, and so is a great story. Welcome to the Kiwi Foodcast, the show where we sit down with chefs, food businesses, food writers, and more to share the stories behind the food they serve. I'm your host, Persan Patel, and this show is brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. Let's dig in, everyone. Welcome again to the Kiwi Foodcast. Today, we talk to Sue Arthur, owner of Over the Moon Dairy. What started as kind of a retirement project has become a successful business in a very short time, with cheeses from over the moon notching over 120 medals at national and world championships. While Sue was prepared to travel to gain her education in cheese making, she wanted to make it easy for others to learn. She therefore also founded New Zealand Cheese School, where one can go to learn the practical and theory elements to make cheese at home. On the episode today, we chat to Sue about how she got started, why New Zealand needs a cheese school, and the importance of innovation when it comes to making cheese. So without further ado, let's begin. Hi Sue, how are you? I'm good, thanks Pusin. Lovely to be talking about my favourite subject. Oh yes. (laughs) So let's start with my favourite question, um, which I ask everyone who comes on the show, which is tell me a little bit about your childhood. Has food always been a feature for you? So I grew up in rural Northland in a very, very small community. Um, uh, most of the farming there was sheep sheep farming. Um, so it was, you know, meat and three veg and very plain kind of food. But we always had um, some cheese in the fridge. And when I was very small, you know, five, seven, uh, my favourite cheese was Chesdale. It wasn't even sliced in, in those days because this is in the 50s. Yeah. And my favourite lunch was um, white bread with butter and and Chesdale cheese on it was absolutely amazing. So um, cheese has always been in our fridge and I I did come across occasionally people who um, didn't have cheese in their fridge when they were growing up and I always thought that was a bit strange, like really weird. You know, New Zealand, we've got all this beautiful um, milk and um, dairy products always been a feature of my growing up and I was always a bit um, surprised when other people, I came across other people who hadn't. Yeah, definitely. When I first moved to New Zealand, I just loved all the variety. I mean, obviously, there's much more variety now. But even in 2002, like just, you know, getting more than the kind of processed cheese, which is what you get in um, India was just amazing. I was like this Edam and cheddar (laughs) and mozzarella. And Yeah. yeah, that was a real novelty for someone from India at that time. We're, we're a bit lucky now because we have so many different varieties, as you said. But, you know, when I grew up in the 50s, it was pretty much all cheddar. So, you know, cheddar has been part of – it's been a part of our cultural um, food history, if you like, for a very long time. And um, I think we're still, we're still in the throes of getting away from that. The specialty in, industry in New Zealand is really still in its infancy. And I think there are a lot of people, certainly my generation and older, who are still, you know, we're still back in the old cheddar days. And it's, it takes a lot for us to get into brie and camembert and some of those fancy cheeses. That's true. Um, I mean, could you actually talk a little bit about that? Like you said, of course, in the 50s, it was still very much about the cheddar and stuff like that. What about like in the late 90s and early 2000s? Like, do you feel the cheese landscape has changed or 
um, it's been very slow to change. It's been very slow to change. You think about the wine industry where I think we're about 30 years behind them really, um, but still moving down that same direction and still discovering that we're very good at those little niche products and handmade artisan products in New Zealand. Um, that's where our forte is and our strength. And um, yeah, I, I think it's been a lot slower to move than the wine industry. We're in the in the in probably the early 2000s when things started ch to change for the specialty cheese industry in New Zealand. But that's pretty recent, you know, that's only 20 years ago. So it's not really that long. And I, I remember, you know, you'd go into the into the supermarkets and, and those in the 90s and the early 2000s and, and see a very narrow range of cheeses still. And that's partly what prodded me to actually um, get into cheese making and to, and to try and make a bigger range of products and you can actually get easily commercially. Uh, because back then it was basically um, – very basic bread, uh, brie and um, camembert um, and feta and there wasn't really much other than that and that was all pretty exotic and some blue. I, I remember visiting somebody when I was at primary school, we, we were out for the weekend visiting a family and this is in rural Northland um, and the, the family we went to, the dad was eating blue cheese and we all thought that was terribly exotic, you know, so <laughs> yeah. it's taken us a while to get away from just that um, the cheddar. Mm. Mm, definitely. And I think even if I think today for like something like mozzarella or parmesan, those still tend to just be something that we import and not really make in New Zealand. Am I correct? Um, you, you, are, you are correct, except for, uh, especially with the Parmesan, but in the last, oh look, five probably years only, there have been a few Italian families who've moved to New Zealand who've started making fresh mozzarella now. So again, this is so recent in our history. If you even look over to Australia with the uh, migration over there from Europe, they have a much bigger range of European cheeses in Australia um, and for a lot longer than in New Zealand as well. So, you know, it's only recently that we've learned about what to do with ricotta and halloumi. And I remember when I first started um, cheese making in 2008, we were running home cheese making classes and one of the cheeses we'd make was halloumi. And I'd, I'd say to people 2008, nine, so does anybody actually um, already use halloumi? And, and then maybe two people out of 16 would put their hands up. <laughs> Um, wow. Now it's pretty much everybody, you know, because there's been so much about it and, you know, I'd say women's magazines and lots of recipes and um, mm. it's a lot more common. So, yeah, our cheese um, tastes and um, interests are changing quite quickly, um, but it's only still very recent. Another example, I often I'll do cheese tastings in stores and I remember being um, in a store in Wellington about three years ago and being quite floored because all of a sudden there was a big interest in our goat products and people before that had said, oh, no, I, I don't really want to taste that goat cheese. I, I know I won't like it. Um, and now there's much more openness to, to tasting um, cheeses that they haven't had before, especially in the cheese in the um, goat and sheep field, as well. That's uh, have yeah. always been seen to be a bit unusual in New Zealand. So, yeah, tastes are only changing very recently, Pus, and it's been quite surprising, really. Yeah, I mean, actually, I'll agree. Um, goat's cheese is just something I've seen in recipe books and <laughs> yeah. uh, on TV shows. <laughs> I haven't experimented much with it myself. It's not um, that daunting. I, mean, I, know, I know goat cheese and beetroot go oh, yes. well together, <laughs> but <laughs> that's all I know about goat's cheese. Yeah, so um, it's not that daunting, really. There, there's slowly, slowly, we've got 
some very tiny cheesemakers in New Zealand who are starting to make a bit more sheep and goat milk cheese and mm. so it's slowly being a little bit more accessible. Um, and, yeah, we're getting the courage, I think, to, to try and use these cheeses a bit more too. Um, sheep milk, people are really always very surprised about how that tastes. It's one of the mildest cheeses you can ever get. Um, I think people expect, because it's from a sheep, you know, and they think about shearing sheep and the smell of the sheep yards and, and so on, um, that sheep milk cheese is going to be really strong. Well, it's not. Actually, it's a very mild cheese. It's got quite a different texture than cow's milk, but I encourage people to try it if they can find a, a hard one or a, even a feta. Um, and goat, though, is a little bit different. Um, some people, I think maybe about a quarter of the people I toast taste goat cheese with find their palate just doesn't like it and they'll they'll never like it probably they'll never get used to it so um yeah some people don't like goat because of that but you yeah, generally more people than not uh, are can accommodate it okay that's so good to try something new. Good to, yeah, yeah yeah definitely yeah. i love um i love actually one of my favorite things to do in New Zealand is to go into these tiny um, towns and find a local cheese shop and then try yeah. cheese. That's one of my favorite things to do. And so when I'm road tripping, the, cheese or honey, one of those. <laughs> well, that's a good combination as well um, because, you know, anything sweet will go with um, any cheese. So a, a, mm. something sweet like a sweet wine or a drink or um, another sweet food like honey is really good accompaniment to cheese. Yeah. In fact, I have a funny story. I remember we'd gone to Wellington and um, my mum, we went on like a vineyard tour and they often give you, you know, like pieces of cheese with your wine yeah. just because you're drinking so much. And um, my mum, who doesn't like um, wine as much, she'd just kind of come along for the road. And um, so she just went from one vineyard to the other having all the cheese <laughs> and not having any wine. And I was like, I think you're missing the point of this. <laughs> oh, not from a cheesemaker's point of view, Poozin. Mm. <laughs> yeah, Great. Good so let's take a step back. Can you tell us a little bit about your work background before you kind of got to the point um, of wanting to make your own cheese? Like how, how did you discover that that's something you wanted to do? So um, my previous employment has absolutely nothing to do with cheese making. In fact, um, my first uh, tertiary qualification was a, a bachelor's degree in French and German, which is it's a great help when you're cheese making, isn't it? <laughs> I think uh, what it what it did give me though was it the desire to go to France and Germany and you know and and look look at the food and so I, I enjoyed doing that. But um, yeah, my my previous um, employment. And, and jobs was nothing near the food industry. So local government and travel. Um, so th those were the two big things and, and teaching as well. So I do love teaching and sharing our skills with, with our students here at the cheese school. Um, but mm -hmm. yeah, the, the other industries, absolutely nothing to do with, um, with cheese making. And we find that a lot of the people who come to us for um, our course that talks about um, how to set up a business in the artisan cheese industry. They come from all different walks of life, person. So, we, you know, we, sometimes we do get people from the food industry like chefs, but we've had a lot of IT people. Um, yeah, mm. and people from all different walks of life. It's it's stunning to, to think the types of people who are interested in it. So, um, yeah, I think for me, I, I decided probably when I was in my 40s and thinking about 
uh, lining up the, my career for the rest of my life, what I was going to be doing. And I thought, well, you know, I c- could actually afford to go off and do something that I really enjoyed rather than work for myself, work, work for someone else. So, um, you know, my dad always worked for himself. He's self-employed all his life. And so I didn't think it was going to be that daunting. So decided that I'd really like to actually um, have a career and um, do something for myself. Um, but I didn't quite know what that was. And I, I don't, really know which which came first but I got a, a mail order cheese making kit started to make cheese at home I thought well actually mm. I quite like this I, even though I was a, I'm a failed science student hopeless <laughs> um, I did actually enjoy the the tactile nature of making cheese and where I can always tell when we get a student into our factory and they put their hands in the curd and their eyes roll back in their head that that's that's their destiny because that, that's how yeah. it felt for me. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a great thing to be doing. So you're on your feet all day and um, around the factory and it's quite physical and you're actually progressing um, some milk into into a product at the end of it that's nothing like when you started. And that's just the magic the magic of cheese making and, f- and food is, production. It is actually quite magical, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've not made too much. I've, um, I regularly make paneer yeah. at home being Indian and I've made some ricotta and um, yeah it is just magical what happens when you you know just add a little bit of acidity and um, then let it strain away and just like the variance even between like a paneer yeah, and that's right and, and what the hanging can it, do to to a product to me it's more fascinating than maybe baking a chocolate cake or you know making a um, a, a savory dinner at night it's yes yeah, it's just something mm. Almost like so. That's what you did in lockdown. You didn't make you didn't make any sourdough. <laughs> no, you were busy making different cheese. No, I, I was too busy at work pivoting, pivoting like my life depended on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you decided you wanted to make cheese, but you discovered that there was no school in New Zealand that you could learn from. I was horrified. So I started Googling cheese making courses in New Zealand just, you know, because we've got all this milk and we make all this dairy product here. Um, and then after several fruitless searches, um, I I became aware that perhaps there wasn't anything in New Zealand. And isn't that a horrifying thought? You know, we have all this beautiful... That is quite shocking. I just presumed that there was something like that. You can... um, There was always a dairy diploma with a specialty in cheese making that you could do down at Palmerston. Mm. That's actually since relocated up to Hamilton now. But um, nothing for, you know, um, nothing for cheesemakers who wanted to start up in a, a little factory of their own. So the, the, the current dairy tech course is really more focused um, to people who are already working in the dairy industry for perhaps a company like Fonterra um, and who want mm. to, you know, they, they're available to go to block courses and, and do a period of study over two years. But um, what we were offering... Uh, what we offer now with the New Zealand Cheese School is very short, intensive courses for over a week, and um, people do theory or um, practical, and then a range of other courses as well. But there was nothing like that in New Zealand at that point, so I was horrified. And I got on a plane and went to Melbourne, south of Melbourne at Werribee, where um, Neil Wilman was running the University of Melbourne's trade training courses down there um, at their at their site, and he'd been doing that for I don't know 25 years or something. Um, in and out of mm. in, yeah, in, in those courses. So I went and did a couple of courses down there and met Neil and met lots of other people as well. Um, came back to New Zealand and started um, setting up a business and realised that I needed a technical person on the team who could, because I can set up a business, I can run a project, no problem, but didn't really have that technical skill. And so I got him on the team to help me get the factory 
um, designed and all the recipes for the cheeses designed as well um, and to help me look at equipment and um, speaking out what I needed to actually have for the factory. So eventually he mm. started to come over. Um, I got him over a couple of times while the factory was being built um, to look at equipment and he helped me select my pasteuriser and, and get that installed. Um, and then I invited him over to do some courses for the New Zealand Cheese School and uh, really things just went from there. So um, a few years later, he's ended up being my life partner as well. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, that's such a nice story. And, and our technical um, mentor. Mm. <laughs> but so did you always intend to start like two businesses at no, once? No, no, not really. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> no, it was, um, well, you know, I, li I, like doing, I like to be really busy and I like to do lots of things at once. But yeah, that was, it was pretty amazing. So I, I started up the, um, the cheese making factory at the end of January 2008. And then um, we mm. started up the shop in middle of March six weeks odd later and then about um, another month later we started doing the first courses for the cheese school so I, I did stagger the start of of each of those different parts because it, it meant I've got this building in Patara du Puzen and it, uh, it just staggered the requirement for me to have everything up and running at once mm. so it was easier yeah. to get going but I but yeah. That's still that's amazing. Like that's taking minimum viable product it was, <laughs> at oh, a whole new level. It was, like it was completely so mad. So yeah. I said to Neil at the beginning, "How long does it take to get a cheese factory up and running?" And he said, "Oh, you'd be looking at at least ten months from you know putting your application in for your mm. um, th to the council for your building permit." And so I did it in four. Mm. Mm. Because mm, I, we're wow. at the end of February, the, the judging for our annual cheese awards is on, and I, I needed some cheeses to be in there, and I needed to be getting some medals. So, yeah, that's that's a bit crazy because so like you opened your shop, and then four weeks later, you were like inside a, a, a cheese award. It was, it was really, it was very mad. I don't know if I'd have the energy to do it now, but yeah, I seemed to manage to do it back then. Yeah. That's great, really fun. Mm. So tell tell me a little bit more about those early days and like what were the strategies you used to kind of survive and create this brand for yourself? Um, I think probably because a lot of it was really hands-on um, that, you know, we, we started here with three staff. Um, so there weren't really a lot of people mm. around to do all the jobs, but we're starting from nothing as well. So that like it wasn't like I was taking over a cheese factory or um you know, I'd bought another business. So, um, yeah, it was just you do everything. You do everything from, you know, writing the invoices to hiring the staff to, you know, trying to get new business out there from wholesale clients to, um, you know, doing the cleaning. And you just – it's yeah. when you're in business for yourself and you're starting off and there's not many of you, you just have to do everything and, you know, work 12 hours a day. And one of the great ironies is that most people start a business thinking that, oh, I'm just going to, it's going to be very flexible and I get to work when I can. And then when you actually start the business, you're like, oh, I'm working all you're the time. You're right. <laughs> you're so right. Um, and it, you know, you do put, you do have to put the effort in probably for a year, a year and a half. And then you, you, you get to, a, yeah. you re realize that actually you're the bottleneck in the business and you actually need to hire other people to help you move forward and grow. And I, I was at that point and I had a business meeting who sat me down one day and he said actually you're the you're the problem in this business so you need to do something about it so 
Um, I did actually recruit some new people on contract for a short time and that they really got us over the hump and away we went. So we haven't looked back and it was a big learning curve. Um, there's something they never tell you at, um, at business startup school person. So, you know, I think um, it was really good to have a business mentor who could actually just be at my elbow and help me through some of those things. Yeah. But, I mean, we have such giant brands in this field, so it can't have been an easy industry for you to break um, into? In, in a way, you know, being I love being small and flexible. That really helps us. I probably shouldn't say this um, on the internet. probably helps us against some of the big brands who are <laughs> slower. You know, um, you could compare driving a jet boat or a jet ski against um, driving a um, you know, a three thousand per person ocean cruise liner, and that's what the difference mm. is. And you're so more, much more flexible, and um, you can move very quickly, um, a lot faster than the big companies can. And I, I love being in, in small in a small business for that reason. And you know, that really helped us during the recent COVID um, lockdown situation. We were actually quite used to doing that, and so we just got cracking and um, and changed a lot of what we did. So being being flexible and adaptable in small businesses, um, it's critical to your survival. I can't stress how important mm. that is, actually. Um, but it does help you against the big boys. The big boys have got lots of resources. They've got um, bulk processing so they can keep their, their costs down. Um, and we don't have that, but we, we certainly have flexibility and adaptability on our side. Yeah. Okay. And was your location like a benefit or weakness? Like why Putaruru? Uh, is that just where your hometown is or was that like a strategic um, decision? Well, I'll give you the real answer. The, the, the <laughs> so I, I live 12 minutes down the road and I didn't really want to move anywhere. So I, I did try and find somewhere that was um, close. I was really looking for a location mm. on State Highway 1 because it's so undervalued, um, but it's the lifeline of New Zealand. You know, we get a huge number of uh, cars and, and traffic down the highway every day and I wanted to have um, maximum ex exposure. So that's why I was looking for somewhere on State Highway 1 and we are, our district is on State Highway 1 in, in the South Waikato. So it took a couple of years to find the right location, but yeah, I'm really glad we are where we are. So it was a, a little bit strategic. Um, it certainly helps us with, um, we have a little shop and it helps us with our profile and our branding as well. Mm. But it's, we're in the middle of dairy country too. Yeah. And I, you know, you wouldn't want to set um, a dairy factory up somewhere where you weren't close to all your resources and to a market as well. You know, we get a lot of visitors uh, from Auckland at, through the Waikato um, and that market's very important for us as well. Mm. Okay. Um, I read in an interview that Over the Moon is the only dairy in Australasia that makes cheese using four different types of milk. So, I mean, can you explain... Why is this something that other dairies wouldn't do? So do most dairies do will just have one kind of milk. So they they'll have an, they'll usually have their own milk. So it's their own cows or goats usually, and occasionally now it's sheep. Mm. And in Australia, sometimes I think that they make milk from um, camels. I think there's a, a camel milk producer over there, um, and. Mm. Uh, the, the fourth milk is buffalo, so it's very unusual to get buffalo milk in New Zealand. There's only, well, 
less than the fingers of one hand the number of is the number of dairies in New Zealand that, that produce buffalo milk. And it's the same in Australia as well, so it's very hard to get. In our early days, we, we did actually have a reasonable supply of it. That's kind of um, more difficult for us now, unfortunately. But we were we did actually have access to all four different milks um, over, over the seasons for a number of years. And so uh, one day we were at home one night and um, we realised that we were getting uh, sheep milk, goat milk and buffalo milk into the factory the following day to be making some um, individual milk cheeses and we're kind of, that was quite um, hilarious we thought and then we said well you know if we got cow's milk we could pop them all into a vat at once and just because just because we can <laughs> and and make a cheese that's got the four milks in it. We said well why don't we do that so somebody raced out to the farm got some buckets of milk and from the, 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 the cow dairy and um, we had a small vat of, of cheese that we made and away we went and that was the first vat of Southern Cross that we ever made and when we can get all four milks per person we, we do do our best to make it um, but it's very tricky because um, we can only get sheep milk in the uh, spring and autumn and uh, the buffaloes okay. dry off over the summer so you know we can get goat's milk all year, um, but buffalo milk's been quite hard for us to get. So it's very tricky to actually make um, the, the the cheese because just with the supply of the milk and it only being available at different times mm. of the year. Yeah, so very tricky. Yeah, But that's so amazing that, I mean, I just love the innovative nature of that, you know, where that you'd kind of be yeah, like, oh, okay, we let's do. actually try we to do something. We like love that. doing that. We really, really love it. We, um, and we've been doing that ever since the get-go. You know, we decided at the end of our first year, I'd, I'd heard from a Scottish woman who was working with us at that time that um, in England they have a cheese called Wensleydale, which is kind of a tangy, very pale, acidic cheese with cranberries in it over Christmas, around Christmas time. So I thought, right, mm -hmm. let's make that. So we did. And uh, we've been making it for Christmas ever since. Okay. So you, we love to innovate. We, because we get um, three, sometimes four different milks, we love blending them as well and coming up with different products. So we make a cheese that – lots of unusual, sometimes unique cheeses. We've got a cheese called Double Delight that's got um, goat's milk as a base, but we put cow's cream in it. Mm. So instead of getting that quite dry texture mm -hmm. you can with a goat's cheese, the, the cow's cream gives it really creamy nature, but you get a little tang of the goat as well. Mm. So it's it's um, a very mild goat's flavour with that lovely rich creamy base of the of the cow's cream. So, yeah, I, I'm not sure anybody in the world is actually doing something like that. But we, we just wake up sometimes or, <laughs> or I'm visiting Europe or I'm in a market somewhere in Australia and I see an imported cheese or another cheese that someone's making over there and I go, right, that's amazing. We're, I remember with the buffalo milk, um, I was over in, at the Adelaide markets one year and looking at all the beautiful blended I, cheeses that come in from Europe and I, I saw a sheep and cow's milk hard cheese and I so I thought mm, wow mm. we've just started taking buffalo milk and we get goat's milk they're at opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of fat and protein why don't we pop that in a vat and see what happens and so on the plane on the way back we we're inventing mm. the recipe getting to the factory and all of a sudden we're making um, that cheese with buffalo and goat's milk which is just amazing yeah yeah awesome
That sounds amazing. So I'm going to maybe commission you to make something with an Indian flavour. Oh, look, we've, we've had fun with flavours too, Pusil. You'd be very impressed. We made a hard cheese with fenugreek for a long time, which is oh, one of my favourites, a, a very Ooh, mild yeah. curry flavour, as you know. That was mm. gorgeous, that cheese. Um, we've put mushrooms in cheese. We've put um, one very hilarious story I can tell you is um, during my first year, um, the I had a cheesemaker who was um, – not really used to making lots of other cheeses other than he made a lot of um, Dutch cheeses for a while. He came to work for us and one day I find him talking to the electrician who was visiting to do some maintenance and all of a sudden we'd invented a, a, a bacon and pineapple cheese, hard cheese and we, we made that for a wee while. And yeah. mm, oh my God. <laughs> exactly. It's like a you've, Hawaiian you've got pizza it in and a cheese. Yeah, leave two guys in a, in a room and they'll come out with something like that. So we, we did make it for a while, but we discontinued it. So yeah, some pretty random stuff. Mm. Um, recently, our cheesemaker, senior cheesemaker G, has invented uh, a hard goat's milk cheese with hemp hearts on the outside. So we've sometimes we do these things just as a one-off, just because we we like to play around and see if it's interesting and see what it comes out like. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think, like like you said, that's the amazing part about being a small business and being. I mean, you are adaptable and flexible, and you know that's the freedom you get for being maybe smaller. Like I can just imagine if you were like doing this at a. I don't know, oh. like at a Fonterra, I'd probably be like doing presentations. You'd have to convince a hundred people blah, blah, blah. before you could actually get to do it. So yeah, it would it would make it a lot harder. Harder. Yeah. I mean, we've had some epic fails as well. Um, mm. A couple of years ago, we decided that we'd like to um, make a cheese with some kind of fig flavour into a, um, a brie or something, and we did the trials, and it was horrible. It was really awful. So we we um, we let that go. <laughs> um, so yeah, we, we've had some interesting, mm. um, some very interesting times. I've got this deal with um, our senior cheesemaker, G, that four times a year she can take a little bit of milk and make whatever she likes. So we do love to encourage innovation. Mm. Okay, awesome. So tell me a little bit more about your cheese school. Like how many students have you had come through the school and what are the kind of things um, that people can learn? Yeah, so I, I actually don't have a number for you, but... Um, we do we do um, mm. home cheese making courses and also professional courses and with the home mm. cheese making courses it, it would probably be a couple of thousand people you know over over the ten or eleven years we've been doing that um, so a, a lot of people we've okay. we've trained into how to make their own cheeses at home which actually is a lot more straightforward than you'd actually think and I, I know you're you're making paneer and ricotta and that's not that hard is it really it's no, it's not that hard, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't make anything more than that, <laughs> as yeah. in, un unless someone taught me how to do it. Like, I mean, I wouldn't kind of just yeah, experiment yeah, off a right. recipe book, is what I mean. Hmm. Yeah, I probably yeah. need to be taught so, a little um, bit. Yeah. yeah, it isn't that hard. It's like you know, if I was teaching you how to make, I don't know, cakes. So you'd have your basic cake recipe, mm. and we'd take you through. You just need your recipe, your equipment, and your consumables, and off you go. And if, if somebody's showing you and working with you, um, mm. you'll come out and you'll make a, a nice product. And then next week you might get uh, inspired and make a chocolate cake or, you know, um, something else, a sponge cake or something. Mm. So uh, cheese making is very similar to that. The, the process of making the curds very similar all the way through, um, but the, the process of maturing and, and the, the, the bacteria culture you use mean that you'll end up with a, a different cheese every time. Mm. 
Mm. And I saw that you guys have a course on like setting up a cheese making business as well. So, I mean, is that a bit of a threat? Like teaching um, others your well earned Yes and no. I mean, teaching someone how to make camembert, for example, is the same pretty much the world over. I mean, slightly more technical process in France where it's the real McCoy. But, you know, a white mould cheese is a white mould cheese, really, and it's a very similar process right the world round. So we're not, you're not giving too much away. What, what, you, what we don't give away, though, is um, our mix of bacteria culture, which is what makes our cheese so different to the one up the road. And so that gives you flavour and so on. Mm. And... Um, yeah, we, we like to keep those things secret. So when we do host professional students in the factory, um, we give them the recipe, but we, we blank out that part. So they get everything else, um, but they just don't get that. And mm. our, our factory, yeah. like many others in New Zealand, we have big um, picture windows all around the factory so you can watch us make cheese um, during the day. So there's really there's no secrets really in terms of all of that. Yeah, we do have a few, which we don't share with our students. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know pr processes that we've <laughs> developed for ourselves as Fair well. That I'm sure every manufacturer has done the same. Doesn't matter whether it's cheese or shoes. You know, it could be anything that little little things that make them a little bit different and special, and things that they like to keep to themselves. Yeah. They, yeah, but that's where all the gems yeah. are, anyways. It's in the details, you know. I mean, it's and it's always I. I've always been um, of the opinion. So I used to get this a lot because I had a food blog yeah. and then I was selling the same food myself. And so a lot of people would be like, you know, oh, why are you giving away your secret recipe? And I was like, it's to me, it's a completely different target audience. Like just because you want you read a recipe, you're not going to want to make it. And even if you make that, it at home, right. it doesn't mean you're going to make and it to sell it. That's the whole thing about the <laughs> so, recipe as well. You know, um, I, I remember the, um, the competition in my family with my grandmother and my great aunt, um, who could make the best pavlova. And, you know, I can give you my pavlova recipe, but you may not be able to make it just the way that I do because your oven's different and your environment's different and you're using different ingredients. Your eggs might be different or they might be warm or cold or whatever. So um, it's a bit like that as well. Mm. A lot of it's in the process too. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So it's been almost like yes, 12, 12 years and since half you years started, now. am I correct? Gosh, that's gone in a flash. 12 and a half. So like <laughs> I was going to ask you, yeah, like what's the journey been like? Um, you know, where do you now mostly supply and um, how have you Gosh, kind of it's evolved? it's been a massive roller coaster, you know, some absolute highs and some terrible lows. Um, but like any business owner, you just pick yourself up and keep going forward. You know, it's like the, the recent COVID um, issues, you know, mm. you just got to resolve those and be resilient somehow and just find a way forward you know it might take you a wee while to yeah. figure out how that's going to be but you, you just keep going um and we, we when you go into business I, I guess sometimes some days you just turn a corner and there's potential and opportunities there that you never thought might be around you know and um that's happened time after time after time mm. and that's been the, the exciting part it certainly helps you through all the dark times when you think gosh what am I doing and um, you know, how am I going to get myself out of this um, particular puzzle? So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you spoke a little bit about pivoting due to the current COVID situation and stuff. Could you perhaps share, um, you know, maybe one or two of the ways that you've pivoted for, mm. for the good? Okay. Like, that it's I, worked I think, out um, well you know, typical, very typical story, mm. I'm sure you get this from most business owners now, um, was to do with our website and our online ordering. So um, <clears throat> when we um, 
the first day of lockdown, we had about $40,000 worth of product that we would normally sell through our two stores, and we obviously didn't have an outlet for that. So um, mm. we had to get very inventive with our website and our online store, and we were very lucky that we actually had an online store running for a, several years, which had been just been ticking along. Um, but what we did do is start to get very mm. creative about um, the way that we presented products. And so we started doing bundling of products and we'd bundle up three three or four cheeses with a cracker and a paste. And um, and we managed to work through most of our overstocks mm. that way, Pusin, which was just such a relief. Um, we gave away quite a bit of cheese as well. We had fun giving it to, you know, the local essential services and police and all those sorts of people who really loved it. But um, mm. we did actually manage to sell quite a lot of it through the website, which was great. Um, so we didn't make cheese for the first three weeks of lockdown because we had massive overstocks of um, some of our breeze and camembert. <clears throat> so we did have mm. cheesemakers who were kind of unemployed who could pack orders and help us with that. Um and at some times, we did actually have 20 times more orders in a week than we were having the same week last year. So that that's, it's point, yeah, just um, oh, wow. we, we would get amazing. the orders in and we'd all sort of stand around looking at each other like possums caught in the headlights going, wow, that's amazing. How did that happen? And then we go, right, we're, we're going to do it. We're going to do it, aren't we? We're going to get all these orders yeah. out by four o'clock this afternoon and we're just going to get stuck in and do it till, till it's all done. And, you know, the, the team were just amazing. Um, they just got really st stuck in. They did jobs that they wouldn't normally do. Um, they helped each other out. Um, and it was amazing how we got mm. all those orders out. Um, so we had a, a few weeks where we just absolutely spiked, like around Mother's Day, and there was a couple of weeks in April as well. Um, and since then, th those mm. orders have settled down to more of a reasonable, achievable level. But what it has done is it's helped us see what we need to do to be able to um, process that level of orders again. And it's set the benchmark for us to aim to actually get up to that level permanently. So it's been amazing. Um, it was a pretty mad time yeah. while we were doing it, but it's given us the confidence to know that we can actually do it and then to look at what resources we need to get set up so that we can do that forever and so that's where we're going now so yeah and I guess absolutely. it's proven that yep. there is actually a demand like that the demand is there and maybe no, you wouldn't have no, found that right. out and until I, the situation I see a lot of about, people so. we get a lot of repeat business obviously and I see a lot of people are doing their best to try and support mm. their local small businesses as well because they don't want us to fall over but our supports come from all over New Zealand yeah. which is just amazing um and we, we so appreciate that because it's helped us keep people in employment. Um, I don't really think our customers understand mm. how close um, how closely they are engaged with keep, with us keeping going the way that we do. And we, we so appreciate it. And all small businesses being in that yeah. situation do as well. Yeah, so a big thanks to everybody out there for their support, not just yeah. of us, but all small businesses in New Zealand. We really appreciate it. Oh, that's really sweet. <laughs> yeah. So um, now moving on to my favorite part of the show, which is called Fast Food 5. So that's five fast I'm just taking another sip food. of coffee, so I'm Are ready, you ready for it, person. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Let's begin. Okay. Wine and cheese or beer and Wine cheese? Wine and cheese. Okay. And if you were a cheese, which one would you be? Mm, Conte. Okay. Um, what is, uh, I haven't heard of that one. Can you tell a little bit? So it's, 
it's my favourite hard French cheese. Mm. So it's a little bit sweet and nutty um, and it's got a, a, a nice rind on it but not too thick. Okay, nice, nice. Mm. And it's a, a, a general all-purpose cheese. Okay. <laughs> sweet, sweet, sweet and nutty. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. If you had to give up eating cheese, which would be the one you gave no. up first? <laughs> no. Like if you had to give up eating a type of cheese, a type of cheese. So which, which one would you give up eating first and like one that you would absolutely not give up oh person that's not fair it's like it's like me asking a chocolate addict which chocolate would you go out eating first I, I, it's like which of your babies do you want to you know abandon I can't I can't do that no I can't okay, okay. <laughs> I don't know that's too, that's far too hard of a question all right fine I'll give you a pass okay <laughs> the one thing that you must always have in your pantry aside from cheese lemon and pepper okay seasoning yeah yeah i like that it's kind of very versatile you can use it for everything oh, yeah 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 shows us up anything okay and just last question what are your thoughts on dairy-free cheese are you do you think it's really a cheese or are you in the other camp where you're like no that's just like a paste <laughs> can i say no comment can i say no comment otherwise i might get into trouble oh, fair enough well, yeah. fair enough well, yeah, I mean, we, we we probably will never get into the, mm. the non-dairy products. We, we see ourselves as a dairy company. Yeah. So um, I have tasted some of those products. Um, they're okay. I, I think you have to be aware that there's sometimes often a lot more processing and, That's true. and other, other products in them than you would actually really like. And all we have in our cheese is milk, sometimes cream, um, bacteria culture, and rennet. Mm. That's it. It's just simple. So... Yeah, simpler is better for me. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Um, all right, and now I have to ask you one other question because you refused to answer the other one. So <laughs> um, the one vegetable that you always buy? Broccoli. Broccoli. Oh, yes, it's mm. broccoli for me as well. So it's so oh, versatile. Yeah. You can add it in everything. Well, that's right, and it's you can. Um, my, one of my favourite dinners is steamed broccoli with cheese on top. Ooh! So what's not to like about that? That's true. My mum did the cheese trick with me for pretty much all my childhood. So all the leftover vegetables should just like sprinkle <laughs> cheese that's on right. it, and then I eat it. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you, Sue, so much for coming on the show and chatting with us. It's been lovely just hearing more of your story, and I think your love for cheese is just so evident throughout um just from talking to you i can just make out how much you love it so and if you do make some of that hawaiian pizza cheese again please keep <laughs> me in mind <laughs> thanks for listening to the kiwi foodcast brought to you by podcasts new zealand be sure to listen in next time for another helping of kiwi food stories